Well, thank you for your singing this morning. Take your Bibles, if you will, with me and turn to Romans 9, where we had our scripture reading as we're going to conclude this chapter uh, that is the first of three chapters of Israelology, uh, the study of Israel, especially in relationship to the present age. And so Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 30, is where we will be, uh, if you want to prepare and get there. As I was moving through this passage, this is one of the uh, summary that Paul has been building towards as he has started out answering the question, what about Israel? What about Israel? And it got me thinking about the human condition and how oftentimes we think we know better. When we've been given a little bit of education, all of a sudden we think that we know everything there is to know about that topic. My brother, when he went into the military and was preparing for basic training, one of the questions that was asked of him was, how well do you know computers? And you have to understand my brother. He doesn't like computers. Uh, he doesn't get along with them. Give him a hammer, he's great. Give him a computer, he hates it. So uh, he doesn't like computers. And so thinking that he would get a reprieve from the computer, he, sa- he said, I know very, very little about them. Much to his surprise, the instructor said, great, we need guys like you. Guys who don't think they know all there is to know about computers, because we can train them. We can't train the others. As I thought about that this week, as moving through this passage, I thought, you know, it is odd. But when we think we know about something, we tend to take shortcuts. We tend to turn our hearing off. So that we don't really catch all that's being said, because, well, we know all that anyway. I'm already working. I'm six steps down the process while you're still over here talking about these things. That's exactly where Israel is at. Israel does the same thing. We go our own way to avoid the congestion. Yet that kind of self-righteous attitude is not only negative for military computer techs, but also it is negative for our spiritual life as well. And it boils us down to this. What about Israel? We've seen... God's sovereignty, we've seen God's election, but now today we see man's responsibility. What role does man have to play? And so the idea that I want us to focus on this morning is this. Faith is the result of believing in Christ alone to achieve righteousness. We could put it another way, it has been said this way many times, um, by grace alone, in Christ alone, by faith alone. And so... That is our idea this morning. Faith is the result of believing in Christ alone to achieve righteousness. You see, that is what Israel missed. But let's not make the same mistake, because we're many in our culture are following the same path that they went down. So as we prepare to enter into Romans chapter 9, we've already read the text this morning. Let's go to our Lord in prayer, asking for His blessing over our time in His Word. Father, we do thank You and praise You for the opportunity to... Dig into Romans chapter 9 to consider some of the truth that lies here. We recognize, having spent three weeks already in this chapter, that there is much that we have to learn. Lord, we also recognize that as we move into this thinking of, what about Israel? If if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can stand or who can possibly separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer being no one, then what about Israel? But as we've followed through Israel, we know that you have chosen your remnant. You are sovereign in all that you do. 
And finally, we recognize that man does have a role as well. And as we look at Israel, we see a negative example. But as we look at that example today, we also see the Gentile church following the same path that Israel took. We know that this age will end in destruction and wrath. But in understanding that, I pray that for today, we as believers would stand firm and stand solid in recognizing that our responsibility is to believe in you, to have faith in you, and only in you, not in our works. Lord, we thank you for the way Paul lays this out and the promises in which he gives us for us to rest upon and for Israel to look forward to as well. Lord, we love you and thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. As we continue with our question, what about Israel? We are confronted with the reality that seems backwards. It seems upside down, uh, inside out, twisted around. Our human rationale is, is troubled in trying to understand why this is true. And so this morning, we move into faith. And first, we're going to take a look at the two groups. First, the faith of the Gentiles. And second, the faith of Israel. You see, one faith leads to righteousness, one faith does not. So what is the difference between them? And that is what we will look at as we look at the faith of the Gentiles and the faith of Israel. But as we look at the faith of Israel, this begins to cause us to recognize that there is a stumbling stone for Israel. Paul goes back to Isaiah, and we will as well, as we look at this stumbling stone. This one who is meant to trip up this backwards uh, faith of Israel. And so this morning, though, let's begin in the faith of the Gentiles, verse 30. Romans chapter 9, verse 30. And we'll break verse 30 down before we move on. And the scripture says this, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness even the righteousness which is by faith. And so as we look at the faith of the Gentiles, we first must recognize the summing up question. Let's sum up these things, Paul says. Let's bring what we have been talking about to its logical conclusion. And he's beginning to wind down his argument. What shall we say then? In other words, in light of the foundation already laid, what legitimate conclusions can we draw? Well, in order to do that, we have to kind of bounce around back and forth through this chapter. So far in this chapter, we have seen that the Lord continued to keep His promises through the Israel of Israel. Look back at chapter 9, verse 6. It says this, it says, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. You see, Paul begins by asking this question. If nothing can separate us from the love of God, then if that is true for the life of the believer, then the believer must look at Israel and say, what about Israel? It appears that Israel has been separated from the love of God. But Paul faithfully reminds us that not all Israel is Israel. In other words, not all of Israel is going to be spiritual Israel. Is going to receive the spiritual blessings promised to Abraham, Isaac, and uh, so forth, Jacob, and, and continuing on. So, the Lord keeps His promises. In the middle portion of the chapter, what we looked at last week, is we begin to get a grasp of the sovereignty of God. Not only does God uh, choose those, He elected those who would be this remnant, but he has the sovereignty to do so. And we remember the illustration from Isaiah, the potter illustration. The clay does not say to the potter, I should be something more valuable or less valuable. See, the clay doesn't speak. So we recognize that God is sovereign, even using us in our sinful condition to accomplish his perfect 
purposes. But now the conclusions are, if God is faithful and sovereign, He's faithful to His promises, He's sovereign in making sure that they are accomplished. What about those of Israel who are not spiritual Israel? Why are they in the condition that they are in? How can they be in the position of rejecting God? What is about to be revealed to you and I is a picture, not only Israel's spiritual condition, but I'm afraid more and more the spiritual condition of those who call themselves religious in our culture today. The image of Israel is clearly the context of the passage. But all those who practice religion follow their lead. It is not good. It does not lead to good things because they are walking the walk that they do not believe in their heart. And so Paul begins with the Gentiles. And he starts here. The Gentiles' lack of pursuit. The Gentiles' lack of pursuit. It says here in the middle portion of verse 30 that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness. The first group that Paul turns his attention to are the Gentiles. And the characteristic about these this people group is that they were not striving after righteousness. The Gentiles of Paul's day were not striving after righteousness. They had nothing to do with Christ. They had nothing to do with the Old Testament. They were living their pagan lives in Rome, uh, specifically because those are the ones Paul is addressing, or anywhere, just in abject denial of who God is. They weren't pursuing righteousness at all. That is not to say that there were no moral people in Rome, however. But rather this is to say that they were not in the pursuit of the righteousness which brings a right standing with God. You and I can look out at our culture today and say, you know what? There are a lot of good moral people. Unfortunately, they're dead in their sins because they have not walked the righteousness that leads to a right standing with God. And this would be the characteristic of the Gentiles. This is who who they were in Paul's day and continue to be in our day. And so they had no desire to pursue the righteousness of God. And yet, Paul says, the Gentiles gained righteousness. The Gentiles gained righteousness. Notice here at the end of verse 30, it says they attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. Despite their lack of pursuit, these Gentiles attained a right standing with the Lord. And to attain, this word attain means to lay hold of in such a way as to make righteousness their own. They reached out and attained righteousness and made it their own. At the beginning of this chapter, Paul goes through a list of eight spiritual advantages of the Jews that the Gentiles did not possess. And if you remember, we we covered them twice already, so I'm not going to cover them again. But if you remember them, it's all about Israel's heritage. It's all that God has given to them, the covenants, the promises, the the fathers, the promise of the Messiah who comes through their line. And on and on and on of these eight spiritual advantages that the Jews had that the Gentiles did not possess. And yet it is the Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness, who do not have the spiritual advantages, who obtained it. Who obtained the righteousness which comes by faith. Paul makes it clear how righteousness is obtained. 
Notice, take, keep your finger here in Romans 9. Notice back to chapter 1. Because the Jew has to understand something, the Israelite has to understand something, and the Gentile has to understand something together. Verse 16 of chapter 1 and 17 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. You see, the saving faith is not only open to the one who had the spiritual advantage. It is open to the Gentile as well. But it is obtained by faith, and only by faith. You cannot obtain salvation in any other way, but by faith. Look back at chapter 9, verse 16 now. Chapter 9, verse 16, it says, So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. You see, your part, your responsibility is faith. God's part is mercy. God's part is mercy. You can't obtain that. The Gentiles are a picture of God's incredible mercy that we did not deserve, and yet was given to us by the sovereignty and the elective will of God. So the Gentiles receive the salvation they did not pursue. They obtain the righteousness they did not seek after. But what about Israel? Because this is the context of the passage. This is where Paul is getting to. We have Israel's pursuit in verse 31. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Verse 31. Paul looks at this second group. And the Israel pursuit, unlike the Gentiles, is an active pursuit. They were in the process of chasing after the law of righteousness. They were in the process of running it down. And the best way to illustrate this is the earnest religious person who does all the good works, tries to live a good moral life, seeks to love their neighbor, attends church every week, and on and on and on. This is the same thing that was going on in Israel. And Paul defines their pursuit by their goal. Their goal was a law of righteousness. But here's the problem. The law they were pursuing was not intended to bring salvation. This is something Paul has been laying out all the way through the book of Romans. Because we must understand not only was Israel in the active pursuit, but they were pursuing the wrong thing. They were pursuing the righteousness which comes through the law. And Israel chased after what was what they believed to be promised in the law of Moses. They were and are in many cases consistently seeking to attain to a righteousness which requires that the law be kept perfectly. But the law cannot be kept perfectly. In fact, turn back to chapter 3. As Paul makes the case there, chapter 3. Verses 19 and 20. Chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Paul says here, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed, and all the world may become accountable to God, because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in His sight. For though the, for though the law, or through the law rather, comes the knowledge of sin. 
The point that Israel missed in their pursuit of righteousness was that the law revealed their sinful condition. It did not give them righteousness because they'd already failed. Instead, it revealed that they could not possibly make it. So despite all of the advantages, Israel, now not the remnant, not the Israel of Israel, but Israel in general, sought righteousness not by grace through faith, but righteousness by works through self. And that is not possible. But as I think about that phrase, righteousness not by grace through faith, but righteousness by works through self, all of a sudden I have images of my neighbors, my acquaintances, my friends, who do not know Christ the Savior, who practice this moral law, devised in their own self, that somehow there is some cosmic balance in heaven. That when they get there, it's going to weigh for them because of the good they did outweighed the bad. But what they don't realize is one bad deed outweighs all the good that you can ever possibly do. Because Isaiah says, all of your works are filthy rags. You see, those of Israel are not alone. Millions of our loved ones, our friends, neighbors, and acquaintances are doing the same thing. Going to churches which have watered the truth of the gospel and now preach a works-based salvation. And the people earnestly pursue a law of righteousness. They seek to live up to the moral law that was given to them. But what they don't understand is that will lead to failure every time guaranteed. Even though Israel pursued, notice here in verse 31, that they did not arrive. It says here again, but Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at the law. You see, in all of their pursuit, in all of their desire, they fell short. They couldn't get there. And so because they couldn't get there, they didn't achieve their goal. And their goal was the law of Moses. And even though they pursued, they did not arrive. Or this word for arrive may be reach. They did not reach it. Paul uses two amazing words that I've defined for you already. Attained means it's yours to hold. It's yours. It's it's part of you. And did not reach. So the Gentiles attained. They laid hold of and made it a part of them. The Israel that were pursuing the, the law, they reached and never, it just slipped through their fingers. They never could quite grasp it. It was never theirs. The difference between these two words leads to a clear understanding of what was about to take place that was promised long ago by Isaiah. And that is what we find here. Because Israel's stumbling stone is revealed. And in order to recognize this, we must understand this legal or legalistic religion, verse 32. Verse 32 says, why? In other words, why didn't they obtain it? What was was just outside their grasp? Paul says, because they did not pursue it by works, but as though it were, or rather pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. So why did Israel's pursuit fail? That's what Paul is asking. Why did their pursuit fail? Why did it fail to reach the intended goal while the Gentiles, who had no pursuit in mind, 
all of a sudden responded in faith and had the righteousness which the Jews desired to possess and never reached. And it is revealed here in verse 32 that it was the method of Israel's pursuit that was faulty. It wasn't their pursuit, it was the method that was faulty. Because the method that they followed was by works, not by faith. Richard Freeman writes, Israel did not confess regarding their inability to keep the law perfectly and turn by faith to God for forgiveness. Instead, instead, they kept trying to keep the law by their own efforts and fell short. Israel should have understood human sin would prevent them from attaining righteousness. That's what they should have realized. That's what Paul has been building all the way through the book of Romans so that the Gentiles do not fall into the same trap Israel did as it relates to man's responsibility. And yet, and yet, human pride prevented them from accepting their responsibility. And I regretfully understand that it is doing so again today in most churches. Human pride is stepping in the way. Preventing the truth from accepting human responsibility. The Jews had everything. Israel had everything and more to understand this simple truth. They had all the spiritual advantages. Eight spiritual advantages over the Gentiles. They had the law of Moses. They had God speaking directly to them through the prophets. And yet when push came to shove, they sought their own desires. Refusing to acknowledge God. And so they stumbled. They stumbled, Paul says, here at the end of verse 32. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. And this is, uh, not only is the clay and the potter a familiar illustration, and so is this one. Peter uses it. Isaiah uses it. Paul uses it in more than one place. But it all goes back to the book of Isaiah, which we will look here in just a moment. But this is the point of offense. This is the point of offense. Whoops, getting ahead of myself. This is the point of offense. Because here they stumbled over the stumbling stone. And some of your translations say a rock of offense or stumbling uh, over the rock of offense. And this word picture is just that. It, it paints for us a beautiful illustration. One that is is clear. And it is a rock in the middle of the road and someone walking by tripping over it. But the picture is broader than that. Because if they didn't trip over the rock, they would have fallen off the edge. That is the illustration that is being painted for us. Is there's a rock laying in the road and the one walking down the road trips over it. And you go, man, that's not a very beautiful picture. But the rock prevented them from falling off the edge of the cliff. So we have the rock that is causing someone to trip and fall over it. The vast majority of Israel, intent on trying to be righteous enough to be right with God by keeping the law, stumbled over the reality of sin by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They didn't understand it because they didn't want to understand it. And so they stumbled over the reality of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
And Paul is taking this quote from Isaiah chapter 8. So we need to turn back, keep your finger here, turn back to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 14 is the direct quote and it says this, And he shall become a sanctuary, both, but to both the houses of Israel a stone to strike, and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You see, Paul is taking this picture from Isaiah. But in the context of this verse, we find Isaiah chapter 8 verse 17. Look at verse 17. And Isaiah is speaking here, and he says, And I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding His face from the house of Jacob. I will even look eagerly for Him. Despite the Lord hiding His face from Israel, Isaiah still looks forward with anticipation. Now, one thing we must understand in relationship to human responsibility is this. While man has a responsibility to respond in faith, through grace, in Christ alone, we must recognize that Israel still holds a place in the Lord's plan and purpose. Despite the Lord hiding His face from Israel, Isaiah still looks forward with anticipation to when the Lord turns His back. Isaiah 8.18 says this, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel for the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. You see, Isaiah looks forward with anticipation because he recognizes that he and the children of Israel are for signs and wonders. He knows that the Lord is going to use him to further the will and the accomplishment of the Lord. But God is not done with Israel, and He must assuredly, and He most assuredly will accomplish His desire and intended purpose. And He will do so with His omnipotent power, divine grace, and true mercy. And so as we look at human responsibility, we recognize that we have a responsibility to receive, but we must also understand this, Gentiles who ask, what about Israel? We must understand that God is not done with Israel. He has not abandoned Israel. He has kept the remnant alive so that one day Isaiah and the children of Israel will indeed fulfill the promise and the glory that God had for them to fulfill. God is not done with Israel. And you and I, who take that man's step seriously, we recognize that it is not works-based. We're not willing to appeal to the world around us. We're willing to get in with the gospel and share the truth of it, despite what is happening in the news, despite what is happening because of persecution. We do that because we know that God is faithful to His promises. We can respond by faith because we have faith in a God who does not abandon His people. And so in the context of Israel stumbling, we go, man, that's, a, that's an odd picture. God causing them to stumble. God laying them out flat so that they understand the truth of righteousness by faith in Christ through grace. So what is the hope back in verse 33 of Romans 9? What is the hope? 
That's the hope of Israel. It says, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Now remember, Israel is the context, so I want to stay there. Israel had faith of God, but they did not have faith in God. And I want to make sure that we understand the difference. You see, Paul is quoting again from Isaiah, some from 8, some from chapter 28. And then there's another incredible passage which we're about to go to in a moment. But quoting from this same passage, we have a picture of God's patient endurance with Israel and the future work of the people of Israel. And Paul reminds Israel of the required responsibility of mankind. And he says this, and then we're going to turn back to Isaiah. He says this, And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. You see, Israel believed that there was a God. They walked with Him. They understood what He said. They had His Word. And yet they did not believe in Him. In other words, they didn't believe that it was going to take His work for them to be saved. And so therefore, Israel, for this time, God has turned His back to them. But soon He will turn that back around. And that is what Isaiah reminds them of in Chapter 28, turn to Isaiah 28 for just a moment. I have just a little bit of time, so we could take you back there. Isaiah 28, verse 16 is uh, where this is revealed. In this passage that Paul is quoting, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a testing stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. He who, disturb, or he who believes in it will not be disturbed. But then we have verse 17. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. Then hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters shall overflow the secret places. Your covenant with death shall be canceled and your pact with Sheol shall not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, then you become... Then you become its tramping place, trampling place. If we continue to read through this passage, we recognize, we recognize something great. You see, who is the stumbling stone? Well, obviously, according to chapter uh, 6 or verse 16 here in Isaiah chapter 28, we recognize that it is the one that we should believe in. It is Christ. And so, the very picture of the stumbling stone is the one that Israel should have believed in. And if they believe in that, then they will not be disappointed. Because verse 17 and verse 18, And I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the level. You see, the righteousness will be the plumb line. We will have a bearing point. But not only will we have the bearing point, we will have the exact Righteousness in us. If you and I believe in the stumbling block, then we get His righteousness. We get His standards of justice. And so therefore, you and I can stand before our God right in His sight. Paul reminds Israel that you and I who believe in Christ, 
have the righteousness that they have pursued and could not attain. But God is not done with Israel. The context of that passage in Isaiah 28 always looks forward to a time when Israel finds repentance. So our responsibility is this. To believe in Him, not to believe of Him. If you do not believe in Him as your Savior, you do not have true faith. You could pursue it. You could do all kinds of good works. You can follow all along. But the reality is, at the end of your life, you're going to know that you did not pursue what was right. You see, you are responsible to believe in Him. This means that you, by faith, understand that Christ is sufficient to pay for your sins and uh, to the point of you forever having the ability, forever having the ability to stand right before God. Say, but you don't have any idea of what I've done in my life. You see, I wasn't like those who were pursuing righteousness. You must understand, if we were Gentiles, we weren't pursuing righteousness at all. But the sufficiency of Christ is sufficient to the point of you forever having the ability to stand right before God. This means that you do not work for your salvation, but you work because of it. Should the Christian do good works? Absolutely, the Christian should do good works. That's a whole other sermon series that Paul's going to get to later. In fact, he's going to start there in Romans chapter 12. But before we can get there, we must have faith. If you have no faith, your works are as filthy rags and they are dead. So that means that we do not work for our salvation, but we work because of it. If you believe your sins will be weighed on some giant cosmic scale, you are sorely mistaken. You are sorely mistaken. However, if you have, if you have your belief in Christ, you have faith that you can add nothing to or nor take away anything from His work on your behalf. Isaiah says, and Paul heartily agrees with him, that you will not be disappointed. If you believe in the stumbling stone, you will not be disappointed. So as we recognize this question, I want to bring to a conclusion this question. What about Israel? If nothing can separate us from the love of God, what about Israel? If Romans chapter 8 is true, when it says that God works all things together for the good who love Him and who are called according to His purposes, what about Israel? You and I should understand several things. One, God chose those whom He chose. And He did so according to His will. We don't understand why. Necessarily, we don't understand all the workings of that. But we understand that because of His sovereignty, He has the right to do so. But we also recognize that in doing so, we see a remnant of Israel, of believing Israel, of Israel of Israel, who have always known Christ as Savior. Even in the Old Testament, moving into the New, looking forward to Christ, looking back to Christ, always knowing Christ as Savior. And one day it will be that remnant that God in His sovereignty will give all the blessings and the promises that were promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's coming very soon for them. So the believer can rest assured that one day Israel will receive all of those blessings because God has not forgotten. And so because of that truth, we can be assured of our salvation. However, I want to take it one step further because Paul does. 
just as certain, just as certain as our salvation is the reality that if you pursue righteousness by works, you will not attain. You will not achieve. You will not be able to reach it. Because that is not how righteousness is won. So Paul says this, we recognize God's election, we recognize His sovereignty, we recognize His will. But we also recognize that Israel has a choice to make. And I shared a quote from you or from Spurgeon to you last time. And someone asked him, how do, you, uh, how do you work together God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? And he says, I do not reconcile friends. They work together. God knows who they are. God knows who will come to know Him as Savior. He's not reconciling friends. Man still has a responsibility. You still have a responsibility. Just because God's will dictated that some are elect and some are not does not mean that you are free from responsibility. And Paul says that those who did not believe, who pursued in the wrong way, failed at man's point. But God never does. God never fails. So you and I should stand here in this, and I want this to be the truth that you understand today. We cannot blame God for our failure to achieve our responsibility. When we go through this, we see God's faithfulness, we see His abundance, we see His provision for Israel. And all of that was given as evidence of why we can say that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. But, man failed. His responsibility was not achieved. And those who do not know Christ as Savior was not because of God, but because of their failure to achieve man's responsibility. Let's not blame God for man's failures. Let's close in order of prayer. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this picture of Israel. Because we recognize that there are so many in our world today that fit it as well. Lord, it is somewhat of a transitionary portion of this chapter and so difficult to uh, clearly demonstrate. But I pray that you would take the, the feeble words that I have spoken today and use them to transform our lives. That your name would be glorified through it. Lord, we do praise you because you have not failed on one point. And yet, as Paul has illustrated for us today, man did and continues to do so. And they are held responsible for it. I pray that there would not be any among us today who would refuse to accept Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone. Lord, we recognize that you are at work, that you are accomplishing your will and your sovereignty. And we praise you for that. And we pray that your name would be high and lifted up, exalted among us, and spread to the nations by the words of our mouth and the deeds of our hearts and hands. Lord, we love you and we thank you for it. In your son's name we pray. Amen.